Hey gang, Tom DJ at Better in the Dark here. As I've discussed in the podcast, which you can find at earth2.net, I suffer from mental illness. Part of this illness includes struggling with suicidal thoughts. Now I'm lucky. I've got great friends, family, and yes, even fans who give me the strength to conquer those thoughts every day. Some people aren't so lucky. For them, there's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, providing support and advice to pull those people through the darkest moments of their lives. For the months of March and April 2012, Better in the Dark is running a special BITD challenge. We're asking our fans to go to SuicidePreventionLifeline.com and donate at least $10. The donations are tax-deductible, and you'll be doing something truly great. On top of that, if you forward a copy of your receipt to Better in the Dark at Earth2.net, that's Better in the Dark at Earth-2.net, you may be eligible for special goodies from us, a special director's court on Brian De Palma that you'll be listed as co-producer on, plus the possibility of free audio commentaries on some of De Palma's films from me and my co-host, Derek Ferguson. For more details, listen to recent episodes of Better in the Dark. Please help me send a lifeline out to those who need it. Meet the BITD Challenge. Thank you for your time and help. My name's Gail Simone. Adam Hughes. Tim Sale, and you're listening to Hey Kids Comics. Comic books. An art form early alive. We can rebuild them. We have the technology. With digital downloads and bookstore penetration, which sounds a bit rude, we can make them better than they were before. Better, stronger, faster. Lovely listeners, and welcome to yet another addition to your Hey Kids Comics libraries. Yep, we're still going. This surprising way. <laughs> oh yeah. This week, and next, we'll be bringing you something I like to call the Defending Morrison season, after what went down in our X-Men episode by covering the somewhat controversial story, Final Crisis. As usual, I'm your host, Michael Leyland, and this here's my mostly trusty co-pilot. Oh, Andrew Leyland. Hello! Hello! Hello. <laughs> so yeah, believe it or not, Dad got off his high horse and agreed to the full Morrison story. Again, more of that later. Mm. He even bought the graphic novel. I did. I even purchased the Final Crisis graphic novel. So much for not buying anything twice. Uh, well, I, we've got. I don't count buying the British editions and then buying it as a graphic novel. It buying it twice because the British editions tend to be so butchered. Well, yeah, as you will mention as we we go through this. This crisis, believe it or not, is the final crisis. Until the next one. Which there wasn't. Oh, okay. Now, the crises are, in order, Crisis on Infinite Earths, arguably Animal Man. Very arguably, but carry on. Arguably Identity Crisis. Well, it's got a crisis in the title. As long as it's got that, it's fine. Yeah. Infinite Crisis and Final Crisis. Not only is it a continuation of everything Morrison's ever done at DC, but it's also part of his six-year Batman epic. Isn't that still going on? Yep. Uh, for backup, <clears throat> it's recommended to read Crisis on Infinite Earths, Infinite Crisis, 52, and Seven Soldiers. 
Jack Kirby's Fourth World and everything else he did for DC might help too. You can skip all the countdown stuff too because most of that was either rewritten or forgotten anyway. Now I read Infinite Earth's Animal Man JLA, the Rock of Ages story I should do. Identity, Infinite, Batman and Seven Soldiers. Most of the Mr. Miracle stuff is that's only important in this. And I had a pretty good grasp of what was going on. It's also been recommended to read Kirby's Fourth World stuff, Commander, Death of the New Gods, 52, Countdown, including the Times, in every other comic book ever published by DC. Perhaps not the last part. <laughs> One would hope not. Well. By contrast... Dad read nothing. <laughs> I'm not reading any of that filth. <laughs> I am reading merely the contents of the graphic novel, plus the two issues of Batman... That I dropped in your that, lap. That uh, apparently are part of the story arc. Yeah. I don't see how they can be if they're not in the graphic novel. That's but my argument. So, so fair enough. I'll, I'm giving it a go. I'm reading everything. Yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not putting up with this. Everything I give this you. This okay, fur criticism. You only read the middle chapter of a multi-chapter story. Fair enough. <laughs> Valid criticism. So back to the controversial part. The controversial part not being that Andrew's reading this. Well. This comic for DC and Morrison too was what Lights and Sound was for Yellow Card. The Beatles' White Album was for oh, the Beatles, and Body and Soul was for Rick, Rick Astley. <laughs> it tore fans down the middle. Some people either raved about how good it was, and others thought it was utter tripe. There was no middle ground really. Others like Dad over here is just so laid back that if they were any more laid back, they'd be horizontal. Just didn't care. Actually, that's a little true. He did have opinions, mostly negative, especially the Superman uh, issues. But he just couldn't be bothered expressing these opinions in sentences other than Crisis on Infinite Earths is better. Crisis on Infinite Earths was better. Was. Past tense. Well, yes. That, uh, we don't want to shoot your load too soon, oh. <laughs> So, that's why we're covering it. I think it's a damn fine read, being my favourite Morrison story along with Batman, and Dad doesn't. At least he didn't when we set out to do this. However, we're covering it in a different way. Dad will be reading everything, collecting the trade paperback, as Ooh, well as the trade paperback. I dropped in his lap, mm. whereas I will be reading it from the British reprints and covering everything. Everything. Tie-ins and all. Crisis on Three Worlds, and or whatever it was called, Legion Rogue's on Three Revenge Worlds, and, and Rogue's Revenge. Revenge. To be fair, I have also read Crisis, uh, Legion of Three Worlds. Yeah. Mm. You read anything else? No, not yet. All right. And at the end, we'll see who followed what, and who got lost amidst Morrison's weekly supply of acid. Um, I think everybody got lost, given its shipping schedule. That too. Now, because of my bloody brilliant knowledge too, <laughs> I'll be giving the details when necessary or needed, and what I don't know I'll make up. Well. Everything does come under the needed category, though. <sighs> now, as I mentioned just before, I'm reading this from the British reprints. We got this monthly and two bi-monthly titles, Superman and Batman Legends. In my opinion, these reprints are better than any collected edition so far as they collect everything that's in the graphic novel as well as the imported bits from DC Universe Zero, which I've also read, and the two Batman issues tie-in, which I consider to be integral not only to Final Crisis, but to the rest of the entire DCU at this time and down the road. So, quick recap on everything that's happened. Darkseid shot a bullet backwards through time and killed Orion, but he still managed to kill Darkseid after all the new gods died. Darkseid fell backwards through time into a human body along with the rest of the new gods, gained control over the anti-life equation and became boss Darkseid as a human, killed Shiloh Norman, Mr. Miracle. Miracle came back however at the end of Seven Soldiers after gaining control over the life equation. Batman is believed to be dead but gets better and goes to the Batcave where Superman summons him. Got that? Got that. Good. 
Batman is believed to be dead. Yep. And he must let the world think that he is dead. <laughs> At the end of R.I.P., he goes to the bottom of the ocean in a plane crash, and Nightwing calls the cow and goes, I must be Batman. So, d- d- no, I'm not even going to get into Batman R.I.P. I don't care where Batman R.I.P. takes place in continuity. Let's just It, it does, move on. and then there was the two Batman R.I.P. missing chances he did after 700 halfway through the Batman and Robin uh, right, yeah. so all of that little preamble that little scroll at the beginning like in Star Wars yeah. all of that happened in Death of the New Gods did it? ish that was the, that <laughs> ish Death of the New Gods also <laughs> comes under Morrison either rewrote or forgot it so the Death of the New Gods didn't actually concern the Death of the New Gods that this storyline concerns more of what the Seven Soldiers Death of the New Gods see my brain's already hurting well, if Morrison didn't write it, don't consider it to be important. Well, that's why I read the two Batman issues as well. Yeah. Okay. So we, I mean, I... Oh, I've read DC Universe Zero as well. Oh, okay. Well, not at the time I wrote the notes. No, no, that's true. We start at DC Universe Zero, formerly known as Countdown to Final Crisis, formerly known as Countdown, and Justice League of America 21. <laughs> Is Countdown not a quiz show? It, it, was, it started off as Countdown, and then halfway through it turned into Countdown, countdown to Final Crisis. But is that because it wasn't selling well? So they thought, well, if we put a crisis in the title. <laughs> well, it, it, I, I think it could be that, but they didn't want to ruin the surprise. Fair enough. It's called Let There Be Lightning, and it's written by Morrison and Johns, and illustrated by various artists, including George Perez and Mank. This issue is just a recap of everything. The previous crisis, Darkseid falling through time, Libra, herald of Darkseid, grouping some villains and promising the human... Grouping life. some villains? <laughs> Gr- grouping... Oh, all right. <laughs> is that why he's called Darkseid? He likes a bit of grouping. <laughs> grouping some villains and promising a human flame to kill Martian Manhunter and is all narrated by a mysterious narrator. One night, above an abandoned strip club that Libra is using, lightning strikes across the sky, running from the right to the left over the moon. This issue has a lot more than this, but none of it's important. It's not collected here in uh, an issue of Batman Legends 29 either. It's mostly Wonder Woman and Blackest Night. What is? DC Universe Zero. Oh, right. So the, the Zero that I've read that was in your Batman Legends isn't the full tale? No. Just edited highlights? Yeah. But more than you got in this graphic novel. Yep. That purports to be the entire story. Yep. Okay, fair enough. Glad we played that up. Now, with all that out of the way... Finally! We begin in Final Crisis 1, titled DOA, The God of War. This issue was written by Morrison, artwork by J.G. Jones and Alex Sinclair, lettered by Rob Lee, and edited by Adam... Schleiderman! <laughs> ...and Eddie Berganza. Mm. As with every other uh, Final Crisis book, this is two covers... The regular is by J.G. Jones and shows Green Lantern, Hal Jordan, pointing his ring fist at us against a red background. The typical Final Crisis variant, which is it's split into three, with red on the left and right and the main cover in the middle, is also by Jones and shows a hand painting the Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman logos on a cave wall. It's actually the better of the two covers, to be honest with you. Well, um, I mean, I don't dislike the first issue cover. I mean, I could bitch about it being a boring, generic poster shot of a hero, in this case, Green Lantern, but when compared to the covers for Crisis on Earth, on Infinite Earths, is really, really dull. Which, before you get on my back, is a fair comparison. This is quite freely billing itself as a threequel yeah. to that story. But I suppose I should accept that the era of eye-catching, exciting and dynamic covers is long gone, and this is what we're going to get for this series. So, taking on its own merits, it's fine, I suppose. The other one's a bit more interesting in terms of what actually happens in the issue. 
and is quite important. This issue was collected as a British reprint in Superman Legends 25 alongside Superman 670. It has a cover date of May, June 2009 and has the same cover as Final Crisis 1. Is it? The Green Lantern one, yeah. Oh, right, yeah. On the cover of Superman Legends? Yes. They have a Green Lantern cover? Yep. Excellent. Good. We begin where all stories begin. The beginning. <laughs> Not necessarily. <laughs> well, with Anthro being given the knowledge of fire by the previously dead Metron, who is wearing his variant edition silver skin by yours now at your local Toys R Us. Elsewhere, Vandal Savage and his crewage of cavemen are raiding another tribe of cavemen, but Anthro stops them with fire. We then go to the modern day and follow Dan Turpin. Turpin's following the case of six missing children, all of whom are gifted. Whilst down at the Metropolis docks, he stumbles upon the dying body of Orion in a skip. Upon touching Orion, Turpin seems to have absorbed some of Orion's power. <coughs> Orion then jumps on Turpin and says that he is in you all. He then falls back, dead. As Orion dies, the Black Racer, the new god's equivalent of death, hovers above him and watches. Green Lantern John Stewart gets a call at work for a 10-11. As he flies to the now crime scene, Turpin leaves. He meets up with Rennie Montoya, the question, who helps him on the case of the missing children by handing him a flyer for the Dark Side Club, and leaves. Hal Jordan joins Stewart at the crime scene and reveals that 10-11 is deicide, the death of a god. While Stewart contacts the League, Jordan contacts the Guardians of the Universe, who seal the planet off and tell him to locate the murder weapon and say that a special operations lantern is on their way. Elsewhere, in a garbage dump, the League of Titans find Metron's Mobius chair, but are quickly beaten by a Mirror Master Dr. Light team-up. On Metropolis's main street, the Justice League apprehend 30 supervillains who are on a protest march against vigilante brutality. Dr. Light and Mirror Master take the Mobius chair and bring it back to Libra. At this very moment, the first half of Final Crisis Requiem takes place. Dr. Light and Effigy tranquilise the Martian Manhunter and drag him into a room just after we see the scene in Final Crisis where Lex Luthor and Vandal Savage are against Libra's plans, even after he promises their heart's desires in return for their participation. Libra gives the human flame his heart's desire by having the Martian Manhunter dragged into the room where he stabs him in the chest with his staff, which is now on fire. Now, back to Requiem. Martian Manhunter uses a mental attack try and fight off his attackers. The group of villains are attacked and killed by the Justice League, but Libra shrugs this off and tells everyone else to snap out of it too. Elsewhere, Nightwing finds the corpse of the Martian Manhunter pinned to a museum model of Mars. The body is then taken to the League headquarters. None of that was in what I read. No, that was in Requiem. Right, okay. Now, back to Final Crisis. Ah, and thus it all makes sense. Yes. Reverend Godfrey is speaking about Bluthaven. Is that how you say it? Uh, I said Bluthaven. Bluthaven. Yes. Because it has an umlaut over the U. It's German. Yes. Right. So I presume that's Bluthaven. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tanker of, tanker of beer at Bluthaven. Yeah. Yeah. Tanker. Bring me tanker of beer. <laughs> On the TV. This is important. <laughs> so apparently you've written it in capital letters. <laughs> Just to emphasise the important... Ow! <laughs> oh, dear. Whilst the tattooed man leads Dan Turpin to the Dark Side Club in New York. Turpin speaks to Boss Darkside, who reveals the missing children Turpin's following were given to Granny Goodness. That he won a war in heaven, and that the future belongs to Darkside. 
Darkseid pulls a curtain and the children come out, all possessed by the anti-life equation. The children of the damned. At the Justice League Hall, Superman brings the League up to date on Orion's death and the new gods, whilst the Alpha Lanterns seal off Earth. Above Earth, outside the bleed, the Monitors watch over the 51 Earths. <laughs> they say that the multiverse has survived after the loss of Earth 51 and sentence a young Monitor, Nick Sawoten, to exile, living on our Earth as a human for the destruction of his assigned Earth 51. His lover, Ouija Dell, runs off pursued by Zillow Valor, whilst an unknown... <laughs> Which I still think sounds like the lead singer from him. <laughs> whilst an unknown monitor watches, saying that Uroten was his only obstacle. At the end of the world, Anthro draws Metron's symbol on the floor. Commander, last boy on Earth, runs from behind, saying they need the weapon Metron gave him now, before a symbol appears on Anthro's face. Then, in a small apartment, the human Nick Sawoten wakes up. Oh, well, that's it for Hey Kids Comics this week, because that synopsis took forever, and that's only issue one. There's a lot going on here, isn't there? They're all double-sized as well. Yeah, well, and they're about 30 pages, aren't they? Sometimes farther. Are they? And as dense as a... As dense as a very dense thing that's been injected by a dense drug. And hit over the head so it's now dense. Yes. Uh. Mm. Well, if you didn't notice... I did. If you notice it, fire is a main theme in the book. It's mentioned or referenced to a lot, which I didn't notice until I read it in an interview with Morrison. Oh, well, that's cheating. If you only spot it after reading an interview, then that's not very good at all. Well, Everything you need to know should be contained in the story that you are reading or watching. I found a reading list where not only does it have the issues, it also has, oh, this interview with Morrison is quite important as well. <sighs> yes, well, I, I also have read this entire story before we even started I actually met my deadline this time so, so of yeah. reading the whole thing before we started recording and after I had read it yeah. I looked up two interviews with Mr Morrison which okay. has a very interesting thing in it but we'll come to that later um, the, the opening chapters <clears throat> Metron's playing at being Prometheus here isn't he being yeah. the god that brings down fire and gives it to man which always bugged me it always bugs me in stuff like Star Trek as well and stuff like that happens. What, man's not okay. smart enough to figure this out for himself, is he not? Um, maybe not. <laughs> I thought this was Commandy, but no. apparently as the story went on I learned that it isn't. This is the beginning and Anthro, who was right. in Christ on Infinite Earth. He was, but that's all I know him from. Was Anthro like Commandy? Has he, he, he got prior in the DC Universe? Well... Anthro was the first boy on Earth, yeah. and Commander was the last boy on Earth. Right, I see. So the opposites. Yes, well, I've never read Commander, but yeah, he was post-apocalyptic, wasn't he? Yeah. Right. I think Commander's on my list of things to buy, because I've just started reading OMAC. With the Tiger people. Yeah, with the Tiger people. Who are also important. <laughs> Who are also important in this, yeah. Uh, is the similarity between the beginning of this and the beginning of 2001 A Space Odyssey a coincidence? I've not seen 2001. Is Morrison playing with the same idea? That this is where man started? He and might have been, This yeah. is where he's going? Or is it a nod to the fact that Jack Kirby did 2001 comics? Maybe both. It could be. You've never seen 2001 A Space Odyssey? No. I thought you'd watch that with me. I could have done, but I can't remember it. Oh, right. Well, you're you'd remember it. The ultimate trip. Dan Turpin was a member of the Metropolis Special Crimes Unit and was a supporting Superman character in the 90s. Uh, it's a... Different Dan Turpin from the one I remember. He's had a personality transplant since I knew him. He's also had a bit of facial reconstructive surgery as well. 
Because he really doesn't look like Dan Turpin from the Superman comics of the 90s, though. In the Superman animated series, he's drawn to look like Jack Kirby. And do you not remember, in the last episode of that, spoilers, he gets killed after Superman's fight with Deadpool. Oh, yeah, he does. The final two-part episode of the Superman animated series is, A, a huge homage to Kirby. Yeah. But, B, it's pretty freaking awesome. It is. And it's really dark and bleak and a really downbeat ending for a Superman show. Yeah. Really good, really good. I I watched that one recently. I was like, what? They just killed him off? Yeah. They bump him off, don't they? Uh, It's super muck muck a derogatory term. Yeah. Is it? Am I, am I missing something, though? Is that... I, I, I know it's derogative, I just don't know what it means. Right, no, I didn't either. I, I don't think I've ever heard that before. No. Well, page seven. How do we know that a crisis is going down? Oh, yeah. Red skies. Yeah, excellent. I, I liked that. I like that the skies, they slowly turn red over the course of these yeah. two pages, don't they? They start very off being readably... Yeah, very early. Page sixes and seven, I think. Uh, very early on, it starts going over red, and then the weather's gone nuts, and it all kicks off again. Do people, do real people, not remember the crisis on Infinite Earths? Mm. Or is that just all in flux now in DC continuity? I think so. Because after the crisis, nobody remembered the crisis. I thought a few people... And a few people had vague memories of something happening, but they weren't quite sure what. Like, they all remembered Barry Allen died saving the world, Um, but they didn't know the exact details. What Supergirl? And they remembered Supergirl died saving the world. But no, then Supergirl never happened. Supergirl never existed. Right. So they didn't remember that. And they remembered an animal man, because Psycho Pirate comes back and creates another crisis. Yeah, so, you know. Um, René Montoya here's the question Uh, became the question in 52 after the current question died hated that I really liked Gotham Central yeah when René Montoya was just a standard cop with uh, Crispin Allen and she became the question and he became the and Crispin Allen became the spectre and it was like oh god really ruined that boot I mean it didn't actually happen in that boot did it that boot got cancelled before that happened so that boot can still stand alone as being reasonably entertaining um, I do like that she replaced the question after the current one died of lung cancer. And Turpin's response to that was quite funny. Lightweight. <laughs> I go through two lighters a day. Yeah. Um, I go through two lighters a day, dude. Um, Turpin's... Uh, here we see the first thing I didn't like about the story. So we managed to get to page seven before yeah. we found something I didn't like. Um, there's an overuse of swearing in this. Now, I know it's in those funny little symbols so you don't actually see it. But it's quite pervasive in this entire story, with lots of characters, even ones you wouldn't think of, of swearing doing it. And it took me out of the story quite a lot. Especially as it's completely unnecessary. There's no need for a good nine-tenths of the swearing in this book. We learn nothing about the characters from the swearing, unlike, say, Spartacus, the TV show, where the swearing's very lyrical and evocative and says something about the character. And it's bloody funny, <laughs> as well. It, there's the kind of feeling that it's just there to be a bit more mature, but it doesn't really, because they can't actually say it. Yeah. So it's all those stupid-looking symbols. And I'd just rather they didn't bother. Am I the only one who, who, who has fun looking at the symbols, counting the number of them, and seeing what they're actually saying? Oh, well, that's, that doesn't matter, because the, there's only six symbols there, and the word that I'm presuming that she's <laughs> when she's calling him, you ignorant old... Yeah. has seven letters in and Green Arrow also says that later on as well yeah so well, yeah, and that's what, it's another thing that bugs me about it it's inconsistent Yeah. somewhere later on down the line somebody does call somebody a bastard Yeah. but it's blanked out though and again later on uh, 
in the Black Lightning issue, yeah. um, Tattooed Man says, get off my ass or something like that, and later on, Green Arrow says, ass, and it's symboled. It's the at sign in the two yeah. colours. So there's no consistency to it either. If you can't do it, don't do it. Yeah. Because it, it just draws attention to the fact that you can't do it. Um, the Mr. Miracle poster on the wall, right there on the docks. Oh, yeah, just before the Green Lanterns find the dead body. Yeah, um, very reminiscent of the style of the Seven Soldiers miniseries that introduces Shiloh Norman as the new Mr. Miracle, the Dark Side Club, the new gods in human bodies, and has Norman killed off during Seven Soldiers, issue one, only returned from the grave after defeating death and mastering the life equation. Which he explains later on, doesn't he? Yeah. But when did Scott Free stop being Mr. Miracle? In the Bwahaha Justice League, I think. No, he was still... Because Mr. Miracle was had got his own series while the Bwahaha Justice League was on. Well, I do mention later on, I just don't know when it happens. All right, OK. Uh, pages 14 and 15. I really like the art in these two pages. Yeah. I really do. The GL Corps look pretty cool. Although I still think the Guardians are a bunch of tossers. And <laughs> the funny blue midgets. Self-appointed Guardians. Um, I do like mention of Lagrange Point, which is real science. Proper not science. Not a top song. Not a ZZ top song, no. Lagrange Point is real. Yeah. It's the point where, isn't it, the gravity of the Earth and the Moon cancel each other out? So you can put something there and it just kind of hovers. Right. It wouldn't fall to Earth and it wouldn't fly off into space. Something like that. Yeah. Real science people could probably explain it better than that. Call Alex. What's his first? Brian Cox. Uh, not Alex not Cox. Alex. He's in blur. <laughs> That's Graham Cox. That's Graham Cox. Yes, Alex Cox is the Alex Cox is the director of Repo Man. I'm mixing up my Coxes. <laughs> Have you got it right now? Yes, I've got it right now. Page 16. <laughs> Gad, they're asking for it in these outfits. <laughs> this side of Dr. Light's personality is, well, new here, sort of-ish, from Identity Crisis, and will return in the much-debated teen rape orgy scene. Uh, which we'll be covering. Looking forward to that, folks. No, really, really not. Mirror Master slaps down Dr. Light on these two pages, and it's really good. Yeah. Um, so the all-new, all-rapey DC's in full effect. Uh, in addition to Dr. Light's sexual proclivities, we have a reference to the Mirror Master doing cocaine and Dr. Light needing Viagra. See, I really didn't like that, to be honest. What, the Viagra reference or the yeah. reference to Peruvian flake? Well, both... It was a. It's another example of look at me, I'm cool. It's a facepalm moment. Yes. Yeah, you know that Morrison was the first person <coughs> to write Mirror Master as Scottish. Was he? Mm. Right, in okay. Showcase in the Flash, he spoke normally. All right. Okay. Fair enough. Normally. <laughs> so you're saying Scots people don't speak normally? No, no, no. I'm saying. Oh no. No, I'm saying if you look at them in comics and you see the <laughs> and it's written out normally, right. it wasn't given. He didn't accent. write them phonetically. Yeah, is what you're saying. Is yeah. that right? Or did they put the? Because Chris Claremont always used to write rogue with a southern yeah. accent. For um. so, yeah, um. <laughs> which you know, just I uh, always read a bit weird. 30 supervillains are marching up Main Street protesting against vigilante brutality. Gee, if you don't like brutality, don't be a supervillain. I know, but it used to be back in the day that they weren't really brutal to the bad guys. The punchmen. Well, yeah. Maybe Batman was. Um, I quite like that scene. I actually thought it was funny. I love yeah. Daniel Beery from my lawyer. <laughs> that did amuse me. Um, well, according to a very helpful site, the Annotated Final Crisis, which we used a lot, 
Uh, Red Tornado shouldn't be at this protest due to him being bodiless in the current issue of Justice League of America. Uh, I got the feeling Grant Morrison didn't give a rat's ass about what other people were writing. Well, there's also a bit here that Monkey Doodoo may or may not be Gorilla Grodd. Gorilla Grodd. Last seen in Salvation Run, uh, dying. But due to shipping issues, the next issue he comes back and is perfectly fine. Mm. so you know he's fine from reading this before actually reading him right so that should have come out before this yeah right okay DC used to well they make a big deal now about getting stuff out on time don't they Mm. which they don't now Justice League changes every week I know but they've not missed a shipping date to be fair to them Um, why does Luther go from wearing his super armour to wearing a standard suit over the course of these early stories Maybe he dresses up during the meeting just to be intimidated. Just to be intimidated. Uh, that being said, I quite like the meeting of supervillains. I, I, I quite like that. I always thought that amusing. Libra seems like a typical Morrison creation. The character who shows up and is instantly smarter and better than everyone else. But her dialogue is quite amusing. His dialogue, sorry, is quite amusing. I don't know why I thought it was a her for a second then. Maybe uh, flashbacks of Zoltan from Battle of the Planets. Well, you know Libra's not actually a Morrison creation. No, I know, but she she re- yeah. she. I keep calling her she. <laughs> he reads like yeah a Morrison creation. Well, doesn't everyone read like a Morrison creation when Morrison's writing? The- um, he Every- does. Everyone's smart and clever. Yeah. and knows everything. He is a bit samey in his characterizations, and everyone's snarky. Yeah, which is something Mark Miller seems to have inherited from him. Oh, and Paul Cornell. That Black Ring saga annoyed me so much because everyone was all, oh, look at me, I'm pompous. And uh, okay. Um, the next page is the first big event of the story. The Martian Manhunter is slaughtered, and yes, it's quite effective, but it comes out of nowhere in here. Mm. Now, I read Prelude to Final Crisis after reading this because I thought, oh, zero issue, this should set up the human flame and his hatred of Martian Manhunter. But it's not in here. No. It's not in my graphic novel. How am I supposed to read the whole story if it's not here? And then you've <laughs> gone and explained all that gubbins in, in that other Requiem. tie-in. Yeah, yeah. That stuff in. That's, I mean, that stuff that you talked about isn't needed. I didn't feel no. like I missed anything by not reading that. But when they drag the Martian Manhunter in here and then stab him with the swordy flame thing and burn him. I, it was like, well, where, where did the capture him? How did they get hold of him? Where did that come from? That I don't know of. Because that, that that's like vaguely important. In Universe Zero, he disappears off, and then next scene again, captured in Requiem. Right. Okay, fair enough. So I'm not actually missing anything in the it happened off panel. Yeah. Right. Okay. Bloodhaven. Bloodhaven. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what? What? What do you want? What do you want? I want some beer. <laughs> It's time for Oktoberfest, yeah? Oktoberfest in Bluthaven. Yeah, Bluthaven has Oktoberfest, yeah? <laughs> we will wear the Lederhosen. <laughs> we will drink some of the beer, yeah? Um, it was destroyed in Infinite Crisis when the secret society of supervillains dropped chemo, or chemo, chemo on it, destroying the entire city, killing almost everyone there, and leaves behind a toxic chemical fallout that's removed when... Chemo tries to reintegrate and Superman throws him into space. When did Nightwing stop living in Bloodhaven, yeah? <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Because Nightwing, Bloodhaven, was his home base for a while, and didn't it get trashed in No Man's Land? Didn't or was that only Gotham that, that only got Gotham trashed? Bloodhaven, yeah, didn't. That didn't get trashed. So. Right. Okay, fair enough. I just wondered, I, I can't remember when Nightwing stopped living in Bloodhaven. Because I stopped reading Nightwing shortly after Chuck Dixon left. Yeah. 
and then didn't read it regularly again until recently. Yeah. Because he doesn't, he doesn't live in Blutarven anymore, does he? No. So, but anyway. Okay. Uh, I, uh, there's a, there is a great deal of cool imaginative stuff on display here. This multiversal orrery. Am I saying that right? Orrery. Containing all of the known worlds is pretty damn cool. Yeah. Offset with Morrison's predilection for really pretentious dialogue. Which the monitors are. Yeah. I mean, so you'll give a bit of a pass, though. Yeah. Because the monitors are a bit... You know, art student pretentious, aren't they? <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> well. <laughs> um, back in Infinite Earths, yeah. I said Infinite Earths, there was only one monitor and his anti-matter counterpoint. But after Infinite Crisis, 52 monitors were revealed, um, each assigned to their own Earth. Earth 51 was destroyed in Countdown's final crisis during the battle between Monarch and Superman Prime, but was rebuilt only to be destroyed again by the Morticoccus virus that killed all life there. Morticoccus? Yeah. Well, it's got Morty in it. You mean death. <laughs> death Coccus. Yes. Death to Coccus. <laughs> Sounds like Spurs. Willie Swadwick! <laughs> yeah, I'll never get enough Monty Python. Um, the double praise Fred with the, the girl who sounds like the, the lead singer from him and Nick Suartu. Or Artan, or whatever his name is. Um, does that not look suspiciously to you on the top of that page? Where they're looking out. That's Coruscant. Yeah. Isn't it? Only with water. Yeah. It's very similar to Coruscant from the, the Star Wars prequels. Uh, the final couple of pages are really quite intriguing. You've got... Is it Anthro at this point? That's Anthro. Drawing Metron symbol yeah. in the sand, which I thought was quite good. And then all of a sudden he's transported to a post-apocalyptic future of the planet of the apes. The Commandy world. The Commandy world, where the Statue of Liberty is buried in the, the water, mm. and Commandy falls to his knees and says, damn it, damn it all to hell, they did it, they actually did it. It's Anthro. Yes, it's Anthro that does that. Anthro's blue, brown, Commandy's yes. blue. Okay, fair enough. It's easy to get them confused if you're stupid like <laughs> I am. Um, and so the first issue's over... And I know, you're all just gagging out there in listener land to know what I thought of it, aren't you? Well, I hate it, no. I I can't do that with a straight face. Um, I actually quite liked it. Yeah. It it pains me to admit. It's not without its Morrisonisms, to be fair, of which there are many. Once again, whilst reading a Morrison comic book, I'm left with the feeling that the writer's screaming, Look at me! Look how clever I am! Instead of just letting the story show me how clever he is. But there is, you know, there's no denying the man has an all-encompassing imagination. There's no shortage of really good ideas here. Um, I don't like that this follows the modern comics trope of not bothering to introduce who anybody is. Mm. Now, whether or not that's because Morrison thinks the modern comics audience is just so small, only hardcore DC nuts are going to be reading this anyway. Which is arguably right and wrong. Yeah, arguably. I mean, there's both sides of that argument at this point. Um... I did think, I mentioned, I thought Anthro was commandy. And then it was like, at the end, yes, that made it clear that it wasn't. Yeah. So, there's a part of me that did like the storytelling device, though, that he didn't explain it all at the beginning. Mm. And it was only my not knowing who the character was that was confusing. It wasn't his writing. Well, he did say in interviews before it. See, I didn't read interviews. I'm reading the story. He did say he'd start off with Anthro. I don't read interviews. I read the story. (laughs) But no, what I'm saying is I'm not criticising him for that. Yeah. That wasn't bad writing. That was, I didn't know who Anthro was. Yeah. And my head went immediately to Commandy. 
just because but I knew, it later yeah, on anyway. but by the end of the issue that was explained yeah. so okay it's not command it's somebody else and he's a caveman so it didn't matter that I didn't know who Anthro was yeah. all I really needed to know was he was a caveman and then suddenly he's in the future yeah. and he's like what's going on and command is like hello <laughs> hello what's going on Welcome to the world of tomorrow. Yes. The thing that did confuse me, I was unsure of exactly how the new gods had fallen, but I assumed that this would be explained later. And it kind of partially was. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't totally and utterly befuddled by it. Yeah. Put it that way. And it didn't suck. Well, if you want to know more about it, it's better to read Seven Soldiers than Death of New Gods. This is the point I'm trying to make! Well... I don't want to read everything. No, but I'm saying... My time is precious. You'll, you'll end up reading Seven Soldiers any day. Probably, yeah. According to the uh, annotated Final Crisis, okay, hmm. as Turpin um, may be the new Orion from taking his power that we see, yes. Anthro may be the new Metron. Okay. Right? Is that why he's drawing his symbol in yeah. the sand? However, the events of the story and my own theory disprove that, but more later on. Right, okay. To understand this uh, story is more based on theories than facts. Well, there is that, yeah. And Nick Suatu wakes up as a human yeah. on the last page and seems a bit, bit put out by that. Still has his stupid little hook. Yeah, okay, fair Mohawk enough. Mohawk mullet. Mm. Mohollet. Yes, okay. <laughs> Carry on. Um, here is where the Rogue's Revenge miniseries takes place okay. by Jeff Jones and Scott Collins. Which I've not read. Nope. Uh, the rogues return Central City to hang up their costumes after an accidental death of Bert Allen that was orchestrated by an Impulse clone, Inertia, who is told to uh, be the new Impulse by Reverse Flash, who is working for Libra. Having rejected Libra and refusing to work for him, the rogues are targeted by the new rogues, who are working for Libra, and have captured Captain Cole's dad. The real rogues find them, kill them, and Cole's dad. They find a speedster on a flash map, and find out that's Inertia and Reverse Flash... Libra also shows up and the Weather Wizard's son and threatens, uh, threatens them to join them. The Pied Piper shows up but gets his ass whooped by the rogues and then Inertia refuses to be impulsed, takes out Reverse Flash and Libra before all the rogues kill him and bugger off where they realise that Barry Allen is returning. Fair enough. So it ruins the return of Barry Allen before Final Crisis does. Okay, fair enough. Um, next is Final Crisis 2 which sported a cover from Jones of the Flash running towards us against a black background. The typical Final Crisis covers of Batman in some contraption. Uh, entitled Ticket to Bloodhaven. Blue, Bloodhaven. Bloodhaven, yeah. <laughs> this was by all the same people. Yep, Jones is still doing all the art. Um, it's the same cover as last time, only with a different hero. I don't get any sense of movement or speed, mm. considering that it's the Flash. And he also seems to have a mighty huge packet. <laughs> well. I don't know why you felt the need to draw that. <laughs> Again, as a piece of art, it's perfectly decent. As an enticing cover to a major crossover, it's dull. It, it, these aren't covers where his belt should be, so it doesn't ruin what flash it is. So it doesn't give away which flash it is. I suppose yeah. that's moderately clever. I'll give it that. Uh, the other cover, which is also by J.G. Jones with Batman in some wacky thing, is a bit better, at least it's indicative of what's going on yeah. in the story. Um, this was collected in Batman Legends 30, alongside Batman 681 the last issue of R.I.P. It has a cover date of June, July 2009 and has the cover of Tony Daniels' cover for Batman 681. You see, American listeners, you see what we have to put up with with the British reprints? They're all over the place! See, uh, there's the new Batman Legends 
has the, the issue that's come out this month. It has the new Batman issue one. <laughs> the new fifty two. Yeah. It has um I think Dark Knight I could be wrong. Probably wrong. Um, as well as the second issue of Batman Incorporated. From pre reboot. The old yeah, fifty yeah. <laughs> anyway. At a club in Japan, in which you must be super cool to enter, a group of young supers laugh at the honoured Japanese hero, Rising Sun, who is complaining about the super-powered posers who sit in fancy clubs instead of fighting crime. A man named Sunisumo enters the club and asks for water. He is challenged by a giant super mech, Mega Yakuza, and turns him <laughs> I down. Loved that name. After being provoked and shot at with a flamethrower, Sunny rips his heart out and leaves it in his glass. He enters the toilet where he inspects his burns. The super young team tell Atomic Lantern Boy <laughs> to get his signature, but Sumo tells him maybe another time. A man enters the club and makes a pinging sound. Bing, 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 Sumo recognises this sound as the mother box. As Sumo's burns are healed, the man introduces himself to Sunny, Zo- Sunny Sumo as Shilong Norman, a.k.a. Mr. Miracle. Norman tells Sumo about the war in heaven, and has him to get a team together. Nix Uoten travels to work at a fast food jump and reads every word from a dictionary, looking for the magic word that will bring him back home. He got a job quick. He did. Maybe he already had one. Maybe the the monitors gave him a job already. Maybe the monitors gave him a life. Yeah. Because how did he know to go to that job? Yeah. He tells his co-workers about living as a monitor and draws people from the multiverse. Elsewhere, a more aggressive Dan Turpin beats seven types of crap out of the Mad Hatter until he tells him where the missing children are, even though he found them in the previous issue. <laughs> Hatter tells him to go to Bluthaven, so Turpin gets a Bluthaven, yeah! Yeah, stop beating me, yeah! Stop oh. beating me, Klaus! Go to Bluthaven! That's where the kitty winkles are! <laughs> Uh, this is when Requiem ends with the Martian Manhunter's funeral and Batman leaves an Oreo on the grave. Just one Oreo, Johns. Okay, take note of that. We don't need to see in Brightest Day where Guy Gardner gives him a barrel of Oreos and a trough of milk. That's overkill. This is nice. Take note of that, Jeff. Nice. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just annoys. In Brightest Day, the, um, Guy Gardner and Hal go to visit a Martian Manhunter and he has a massive sand pit full of Oreos and a trough full of milk guy's dead dude no he comes back I know he comes back they all come back well the, the brightest day is after Blackest Night where he comes back okay which is after the, but yes but anyway back with the story we're talking about yeah at the evil strip club of evil <laughs> Luthor, st- <laughs> Luthor still isn't sold by Libra and says that maybe if he can hurt Superman he'll believe him as they leave, Luthor speaks to Vandal Savage, who says that if Libra can offer an end to his boredom, he'll take it. The Human Flame and Libra return to the club to speak about what the flame owes him. No, no. <laughs> Bend over. At the Watchtower, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman and Flash inspect Orion's body, and Batman says that John's death was an organised crime-styled execution. Hal enters, along with Alpha Lantern Kraken, Batman says that Orion was shot, but Kraken doesn't believe that a god could be shot and have no wound left behind, and leaves. <laughs> At the crime scene, Green Lantern Opto returns to Stuart after looking for a mysterious sound. 
Stuart finds a glowing purple bullet that has been buried underneath concrete for 50 years. Opto leaves, and John diagnoses the bullet with a ring that tells him that the bullet was filled with radium, energy that can harm a god. The ring stops working before John is attacked by an unknown lantern, one who's wearing Hal Jordan's uniform. In, this apart- in his apartment, Hal is woken up by the Alpha Lanterns, who place him under arrest for deicide and attempted murder of his partner. Batman and Superman say that Kraken's wrong, and Jordan's innocent, but Superman says that if the story is, if that is true, then they still have a god killer at large. Superman leaves saying Clark still needs to show up at the planet, and Batman goes back into the hall, where Kraken's mind is taken over. Batman realises that it wasn't Hal, but Kraken who attacks John, and Kraken, or Granny Goodness, opens up a beam tube and takes Batman with her. So it's revealed here that Granny Goodness is in the body of Kraken. Yes. In Bluthaven, yeah. Bluthaven, yeah. Turpin sneaks in, sneaks past some atomic knights before being spotted by Reverend Godfrey and led into Command D. In there, they walk past cells full of people. Commandus, who's also in there, says that they're keeping the slaves. Godfrey leads Turpin to a Kraken, Makari, and Simeon are working on a tiger person, whilst Batman is restrained in a contraption, yelling "One everyone" before his eyes are covered and he loses consciousness. And Turpin says that there's someone in his head. He's in my head! Being Bruce Wayne. Yes. Uh, At the Daily Planet, Lois hands a CD to Jimmy about the missing kids, and Jimmy runs off to an elevator. Clark says he thought he saw Jimmy downstairs a minute ago. Jimmy then turns into Clayface, and the planet explodes, leaving Lois mortally wounded. Flashes Wally West and Jay Garrick head to the abandoned strip club that used to be Central City Community Centre, where Barry and Jay first met. They're tracking the epicentre of a seismic pulse that happened when John's heart exploded. Wally finds the crime bible and says that the Mobius chair there is a fake. Wally tells Jay of Batman's idea of the bullet being fired backwards through time. At that moment, the chair releases light and Wally realises that this is the moment the radion bullet enters time, where it hits Orion passes through him into the past and finally buries itself in concrete, and that the Mobius chair is the scope of a god gun. Jay recognises the vibrations coming from the chair, and then Barry Allen runs through the time screen, chasing a bullet that contains the Martococcus virus, also the radion bullet, whilst being pursued by the Black Racer, telling Jay and Wally to run. The end. <laughs> well, it's not really. No. It's to be continued. A sign of things to come. Take it to Blood Harbor, yeah. <laughs> Uh, Sonny Sumo is a vital character in the series yes, and has he only is. appeared in ten comics ever. Alright. Six of those are Final Crisis and the others are... <laughs> so six of them are this. Well, um, and the others are Forever People. Oh, uh, right. Sonny was a wrestler who had a piece of the anti-life equation in him. After the Forever People used Mother Box to unlock the anti-life equation, he joins them in battles Darkseid and Desad before Darkseid uses the Omega Sanction to send him into a feudal Japan. Never to be seen again until this issue. Fair enough. Um, can I just interrupt you there for a second and say how much I loved the super young team? Mm. <laughs> I think it's a real crime that these people are never given a proper introduction. So to eliminate that transgression, they are shiny happy Aquazon, well-spoken Sonic Lightning Flash... <laughs> Shy, crazy Lolita Canary. 
John Meters. Most <laughs> excellent super bat and big atomic lantern boy. <laughs> they are the best superhero names ever. <laughs> Did Morrison make them up? Mm-hmm. Or do they have prior? No, I think those, those are all new. <laughs> That's fantastic. Because you know that comes from the Japanese yeah. thing of when they translate stuff, they translate it literally. Mr. Deathman. Yeah, yeah. stuff like that. And so, emo in Japanese. You know what you need potato. to do? You need to look up episodes of the original Star Trek and what they were called in Japan. Okay. Because they translate them literally. I, I can't remember any off the top of my head, but something like City on the Edge of Forever yeah. ends up being something like they go back in time and stop Hitler winning. So they just translate the episode <laughs> titles incredibly literally, so they lose all of the lyrical and poetry. poetry. But they gain something gorgeous in the translation. It's brilliant. Um, page one. Uh, the first page is quite cool, I'm all going into the nightclub. Uh, I do wonder how Barbara Gordon feels about the merchandising of her crippling. Yeah. Given that there's a bloke there wearing a killing joke jumper with a Robin knapsack. I do wonder what she thinks about that. Uh, and there's a stormtrooper with horns. Yeah. Did you notice that? Presumably to avoid the hordes of Lucasfilm lawyers. And there's a spirit there in the fire. And there's right? a spirit there, but he's coloured differently. Mm. So they can get away with that as well. Uh, over the next couple of pages, we get some not-so-subtle jabs at the merchandising and partying of the current celebrity crowd. Yeah, it's quite funny, though, I suppose. Uh, Sheila Norman is quite important, as well as being the only one who knows about the War of the Gods, Darkseid, and how to defeat the Anti-Life Equation. I still want to know when Scott Free stopped being the Mr. Miracle. I'll Simply th- because I like the name Scott Free. I've wrote it in my notes later, I can't remember. Yeah, Alright, well, I'll bring that back up later. Mega Yakuza is a really funny portmanteau. Yeah. I like that. Uh, Mother Box... With three X's. Three X's uh, was changed from the name Mother Box. Right. Just... Didn't a triple X rated movie used to be really, really pornographic? So you had Mother Box and Father Box with a foot pedal. Making little boxes. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, wow, pedal. (laughs) Oh, very good. It's just a hairy bobbing man asking a guy. Yes, carry on. Uh, Nick's Wotan's sketches Mm. are of Overman and Overgirl, Captain Adam and Mandrak, all important characters near the end of the series and keep on beyond. Very good. These sketches are also by Morrison and probably from the Final Crisis sketchbook. Are they not in the back of the graphic novel? Um, well, they have some be. trade paperback stuff. But those sketches are Morrison's himself. Right, okay, very good. Uh, I was a bit disturbed by the implication that Turpin is turned on <laughs> by his brutal beating of the Mad Hatter. <laughs> yeah. But mindless violence and rape is par for the course in the Didio universe, isn't it? Command D is where Commandy was given his name. Yeah. But um, if he's here instead of at the end of time, then, um, well, and here in this Earth rather than the Earth he should be on. Um, and Commandy Anthro at the end of the last issue, then that means that time has already started to collapse. Oh, time is like a piece of string and the two ends are meeting. Well, um, Morrison's idea on time, which he says in The Invisibles, is imagine that time is a spiral, with the end of time being the dead in the centre, and the closer you get to the middle of that spiral, the faster time goes to the end of time. But that implies that time has an end. But all things end, I suppose. Uh, uh, This is established as being the impetus for the entire series. My interpretation of this was that the death of the new gods 
I presumed in the aptly titled Death of the New God series, but yeah. apparently that turns out not to have been so aptly titled after all, um, has caused some wacky collapse in the very fabric of space-time. Is mm. that not right? Well... Kind of. Confession time-ish. I've not read Death of the New Gods. Neither have I. I was going to until I read that... Um, not only did Morrison forget or rewrite most of it, but it was a loose backup of what he wrote in Seven Soldiers as um, a kind of recap read before readers read Final Crisis. Right, okay. But it was forgotten, just like Christ Countdown was. Alright, fair enough. I did like uh, The Funeral of John Johns, uh, Superman Praise for Resurrection, which is an acknowledgement that superheroes die and are resurrected all the time nowadays. Which will be. Uh, yeah, Clayface looks like the Clayface from the animated series. Yeah. Did he not used to be? No. He never looked like the Clayface from the animated series until the animated showed up. Uh, I do like that Morrison seeds Alpha Lantern's betrayal in this issue, as Batman constantly reinforces his evidence, and she just keeps dismissing it out of hand. Yeah. So he's like, uh, you know not what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, once again, following on from our coverage of Blackest Night, we see that the Green Lantern Corps, certainly the Guardians, are a bunch of self-appointed overachievers who require everybody to bow to their will, but themselves have no one to answer to. Mm. I presume they've been brought down at some point. Probably. Yeah, that would be fair enough. Uh, I didn't know Hal Jordan was paralysed. He's not <laughs> mentioned it. It's the first I heard of yeah, it. It's the first well. I've heard of it as well. Yeah. Uh, Batman, after successfully deducing the, deducing the true nature of Alpha Lantern, is captured and placed in the mind machine to probe his brain. Brain? Brain? They're in what my is brain? brain? Spock's brain, dude! I don't know. Uh, this story strand will be continued in Batman's own book. Not in this trade paperback that oh, I've got. But I did read it, so you really can't say I'm not going all out for this one. You know those two Batman issues haven't been collected yet? Have they not at no. all? Nope. Right. What, so are they waiting till they do Batman R.I.P. the Omnibus or something? Probably, hopefully, yeah. That's... The new omnibus is coming up. Yeah, okay. um, Jimmy has the cover to Superman 204 by Jim Lee. Apparently not framed on his desk. No, it's the screensaver on his monitor, oh, monitor okay. future boy. Okay. Yes, Jimmy has a framed poster <laughs> of Superman. I would. On his desk. Hey, he's Superman's pal. <laughs> he, that's true. Um, yeah, fair enough. It's the first issue for... Um, to my pal, love soups. <laughs> of the For Tomorrow storyline, which has Superman create an alternative safe house universe if a crisis should happen. You know what else about Superman for tomorrow? Yeah. It's duller than dirt. God, it's boring. It's 12 pages of suckage. 12, 12 pages. pages. 12 <laughs> issues of sucktitude. It's, oh, God, that was so bad. I want to read it. No, God, no, no, thrice, no. Oh, God, it's awful. Oh, if we have letters coming in now saying Andrew is wrong. I don't. I have yet to see anybody defend that trial. So no one. Nobody liked it. liked it. Yeah, oddly, it gets an absolute edition. It does, and it's crap. So if you want to defend Superman for tomorrow, feel free to email us 
<laughs> hey kids comics whatever our email address is yeah. at virginmedia.com well the only crisis not to get an absolute is infinite is it settle to an omnibus instead I think it'll get a, it'll probably get a big one at some point oh, yeah. um, I'll have to confess I really did like the two pages set in the Daily Planet mm. Clark is quick enough to realise something's going on with Jimmy but not quick enough to do anything about it resulting in an explosion taking out the entire Daily Planet top floor judging by the exterior shots this wiped out an entire floor but this being Superman he's only bothered about Lois mm. so how many other people people were killed in that explosion how many people were hurt in the debris yeah. well Superman's only bothered about Lois he's not all about truth justice in the American way really he's all about his missus oh yeah which is fair enough I'll give him a pass for that because let's face it if he didn't rush to her straight away she'd have been really annoyed when she woke up <laughs> yeah if she woke up mm-hmm. uh, I've railed about out of place humour in these things before something else I suppose I should learn to accept kids aren't reading this stuff anymore uh, I did find Wally's line about the Barry Allen Flash and the Jay Garrett Flash meeting at a strip joint quite amusing yeah it has to be said it made me smile <laughs> I don't mind admitting it it's doing its job yeah and on the last page we see Barry no Barry's dead. He's staying dead. And he's never coming back. Alan, chasing after the bullet that the John Stuart GL found a few pages earlier. Uh, Every single letters page of The Flash from the era I'm currently reading. Really? Which is, ju- I've just started the Mark Wade run. Because Marv Wolfman said he purposely wrote The Flash's death. He did, death. but if you read that so Flash run, every single letters page, you go, Barry's dead. Barry's dead. Barry's not coming back. Barry's dead. Fair enough. It's the death they've stuck to the longest, isn't it? <laughs> Apart from Uncle Ben. Wow. Uh, again, I liked this one. The yeah. story's heating up quite nicely. It's a much darker tale than Crisis on Infinite Earths. It's not quite as dark as Identity Crisis. And the various different plot threads are loosening up nicely. We have all the interesting clues about the Radium Bullet, the return of the Barry Allen Flash, the kidnapping of Batman, the wiping out of the Daily Planet, and no real Morrisonisms to take me out of the story. No. Alas, in one more issue's time, there'll be more than enough Morrisonisms yeah. to keep me happy. It might have been just been 40 pages of Morrison's head with funny colours popping yeah, out. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Final Crisis 3, done by the same old folks and entitled No Evil, was another Jones covers of Supergirl holding her hair and looking up against a blue background. Whereas the Final Crisis variant is of Wonder Woman wearing a scurry mask in front of Lightning. Again by Jones. Mm, the Supergirl cover looks very... Oh, I'm blonde and a bit stupid. Can you help me, please? I've got my finger in my mouth. And it's like, I'm a valley girl. I'm a beach person. And a night person. And oh, I'm glad a big, strong man's here to help me. Go smother. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like that cover at all. Do you not? No, just, just because of that. As a piece of art, it's perfectly serviceable. Yeah. But I don't like the fact that Supergirl looks like she's... Oh, I'm blonde and silly. Uh, yeah. Nobody can protect me. Um, the other one with Wonder Woman's are right, I suppose. I quite like that mask she's wearing. Wonder Woman, one of them for Halloween. A Wonder Woman mask? <laughs> yes, a Wonder Woman mask for Look Halloween. Look at me, I'm Linda Carter. <laughs> oh, I'd be at home. Put your yeah. legs away. This was collected in Superman Legends 26, which had a cover date of July, August 2009, and has the Supergirl cover. Indeed it does. British reprints didn't use any of the other covers for this, did they? Uh, No, I don't think so. Um, Frankenstein and the Agents of Shade raid the abandoned Darkseid Club, 
where they find the question stood above the dead and mummified corpse of Boss Darkseid before she detonates a smoke bomb and disappears into the streets where a meteorite crashes down in front of her. Back inside, Frankenstein finds a computer mouse writing the words, No Evil, on a wall. Father Time, her guy in shade, is talking to Taleb Khalid, the leader of Checkmate, who tells him that the local warlord has taken control of an experimental weapons bunker in Bluthaven. Yeah, Bluthaven! The, the D place. <laughs> <laughs> and that he needs Shade's most expendable agents and to recruit Rene Montoya, who has who found that the meteorite was the German supergirl, Overgirl, from another Earth, saying that the sky is bleeding and the hell is here. Ooh, take in, a breath. In German. Yeah. Montoya is then picked up by Shade agents. Nix Uoten is fired from his job because he's scurrying co-workers and customers when he talks about the monitors and the multiverse. Outside, he sees news on TV. Is that how you feel when you're at school? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone just looks at you as if you're odd when you're banging on about the multiverse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, outside, he sees news on TV of archaeologists who found a piece of rock with Metron's chest symbol on it, the one Anthro was writing on. Yes. Uh, they found it in Gotham in the Gotham subway extension, identical to crop circles found in England. As he watches, an unknown monitor watches. Who watches the watchers? Mm. At the West household, Jay Garrick sits telling Iris Allen, Linda Park and Joan Garrick what had just happened to him with the other flashes. They were running backwards through time, chasing after the God Bullet being pursued by the Black Racer. The bullet hits Orion and the Racer stands above him and dances. <laughs> I thought you were laughing at No, me. no, I was laughing at the, the bat craziness of this story. <laughs> well, uh, the bullet hits Orion and the racers stand above him and Dan Turpin before turning back to the three flashes. Jay's leg gives out and he leaves the time stream watching Barry and Wally run off at the speed of light, the black racer following. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Doom, Libra... <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, at the Hall of Doom... Libra tells the human flame that this is his new hideout and that he has a new costume too. He holds a helmet, saying he can hear a voice coming from inside it. As he pulls it closer, Libra pushes it on his head, saying that it's the anti-life equation. At that moment, Lex Luthor steps out of the shadows and threatens to neutralise Libra, who then says that in less than 24 hours, the ability to make decisions will be removed, and that Lex should make one last decision to either wear the same helmet human flame does and be a mindless anti-life slave, or renounce science, swear an oath to the Bible of crime, and praise Darkseid. In the Metropolis Hospital, Clark Kent sits next to Lois. Jimmy says that Perry's on life support and that others lost legs or died. He says that Superman managed to get the shrapnel out of Lois' heart, <laughs> but hasn't been seen for time. So there was no middle ground, though. Oh, no. People either lost a leg or they died. <laughs> Fair enough, okay, Jimmy. <laughs> he says that Superman managed to get the shrapnel out of Lois' heart, but hasn't been seen for some time before leaving. Before Jimmy leaves, Clark says that the only thing keeping Lois alive is heat vision. Yeah, heat vision. Yeah, okay. And he says that he'd do anything to save her. Monitor, just he says that he'd do anything to save her. Monitor Zillow Valor says she knows that Clark Kent's Superman and offers him the ultimate chance to save her, but they must leave now before it's too late. This is where Superman Beyond takes place, but for simplicity's sake, we'll do that after this issue. Uh, does Zilla Valo not mention that she's touring with her band? <laughs> the band, band of monitors. Yeah. People who don't know the, the lead singer of him is aren't going to get this. <laughs> it's a wasted joke, isn't it? 
Um, the Alpha Lanterns passed through the Hall of Justice with the arrested Hal Jordan to take him to Oa. 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 Yes, it's Green lights come and I won't go home. Uh, Oa. <laughs> where the other leaguers discussed Hal's innocence and how they believe that Darkseid may be involved. Green Lantern, Alan Scott, says that back in the days, back in the days when I was a lad... When I were a lad, when I were fighting with Tall Star Squadron, my eyes were all fields this, all fields I tell me. <laughs> back in the days of All Star Squadron, President Roosevelt assembled a 50 superhero army with Article X, the draft for superheroes. He gets in touch with Oracle, he gets in touch with the heroes such as the new Captain Marvel and the new Aquaman, all these heroes and more ga- all gather in the Watchtower to witness a speech by Alan Scott. Back in Japan, Shilo Norman is about to leave in his plane when he and Sonny Sumo are attacked by Darkseid's Justifiers who blow up his plane. The super young team then show up and rescue <laughs> Norman and Sumo before taking off into the sky. And the super young team, car. yeah, the super young team have a fantastic car. <laughs> On the outskirts of Bluthaven, yeah. Bluthaven, yeah. Wonder Woman talks to some inhabitants, inhabitants, left without homes, and some of the Atomic Knights. She then tracks into the ruins with some Atomic Knights, rather than waiting for some Shade Agents to turn up. They found the many corpses of Replica, the Shade Agent seen in Seven Soldiers Frankenstein, who was killed by Mary Marvel, who shows up and attacks Wonder Woman and kills an Atomic Knight. Just as Wonder Woman has the upper hand, Murray reveals that the new gods have been hiding in human bodies all along, and that the anti-life equation goes global in five minutes. She then unleashes the gas version of the equation upon Wonder Woman, who then becomes the equation carrier. <laughs> Mr. Terrific and Oracle then have a little uh, video message in on Skype, when <laughs> Makari sends an email from Bluthaven to every single email address that opens itself up, uploading a virus to every computer before Oracle quickly shuts the internet down. All of it. Turns out it is possible. Take that, Quasada. Oracle can break the internet in half. Why? Who couldn't? Joe Quasada. He couldn't break the internet? No. Why? why? It just became some running gag about some announcement he was going to make tomorrow. We'll break the internet in half. I don't even remember what it was now. Fair enough. Outside the abandoned strip club, Barry Allen and Wally rest stop running only to find themselves a month in the future where Darkseid rules only to be attacked by the Furies consisting of Batwoman Wonder Woman Giganta and Catwoman uh, Frankenstein sworn enemy of Melmoth appeared sworn enemy of her <laughs> he's a bad guy so. Dr. Anher Melmoth <laughs> appeared in modern times after resting for 135 years after his previous battle with Melmoth underneath an American high school where all of its students have been brainwashed by the Shida before burning it down in one of the best Seven Soldiers <laughs> miniseries. Later, in a town where all of its inhabitants have been brainwashed or killed by evil pets after drinking water that has been turned into weapon, a weapon by the government, he meets his wife, who is now working for an organisation called Shade, who offer him a job. He then infiltrates the Shida rotating castle where he is sent into the future where he then goes back to the present where the Shida Queen is defeated and Clary and the Witch Boy declares himself the now Shida Queen and curses Franken- curses Frankenstein to take them back into the future where the Shida rule. He is then later seen briefly in Infinite Crisis before reappearing with Shade outside the Darkseid Club. Okay. Fair enough. You know, actually, I forgot to mention it last issue, but in Seven Soldiers, Boss Darkseid was black. 
You mentioned that when we did Action, Action Comics a couple of weeks ago. Did I? Yeah. Right. But he was black. And then in this, Final Crisis, he's old, white, and wears glasses. Yeah. You did mention that, that continuity discrepancy uh. when we did that Paul Cornell issue of Action Comics. Um, Dan Turpin muttering that there's someone in my head pays off here with the death of boss Darkseid and the revelation that Darkseid is attempting to take control of Dan Turpin's body. Turpin does a pretty good job of fighting this off. Mm. It has to be said. Uh, apparently the man in the hat is Father Time on page 3, panel 4. I thought it was the Riddler. <laughs> what the bloody hell's the Riddler doing in this? Apparently he does look different than he did in Seven Soldiers. Alright, fair enough. Uh, page 4, Overgirl. Looks a little worse for her, and then speaks a little bit German. Uh, I have no problem with her speaking a native tongue. I think it's really pretentious that no translation is forthcoming, yeah. and I have to go and do homework to learn what she said. But anyway, um, I think learning another culture's language is, is honourable and a noble thing to do, and I encourage everyone to do it because it promotes harmony between nations. I can't be asked doing it when I'm reading a comic. That's <laughs> called homework. Uh, page five, it amused me that Knox Watts' face can't hold down a job at the Big Belly Burger. Yeah. <laughs> He's a big muckety-muck in the grand scheme of things, but he can't hold down a job in a fast food joint. <laughs> Very funny. Um, note that here, Iris Allen looks quite a bit older than she does in the Flash series that comes after this. It's explained later that anyone who's in contact with the Speed Force will stay young. So, having no, having had no contact with the Speed Force for around 25 years now, Iris has started ageing until the next issue. Oh, right, okay. Uh, I can't say I noticed that Iris was looking particularly old. Well, he's got a few... Yeah, I suppose she's got a few lines on her face, more than Lois Lane had a couple of issues ago. Uh, I do like the Flash's racing bullet through time, which is it is actually a pretty cool visual, that, yeah. by J.G. Jones. Uh, the Black Race has followed him. He's very Silver Surfer, isn't he? Uh-huh. I presume he's a Fourth Worlder. He is. He right. had a redesign as well. Oh, all right. Back in the Fourth World stuff in the old JLA, he was a black guy in racing gear and, and uh, skis, but here he's like full-on... Cylon. Yeah, I thought he looks very like a Cylon, doesn't he? Yeah. But the hats that justify his make people work yeah. are very Cylon-esque, aren't they? Very, woo, woo, mm. woo, woo. Uh, the human flame is a homophobe. I've got written here, but now I can't quite find... Where yeah, where he says it's all a bit gay. Yeah, where he's, uh, when, they're, when they're at the Hall of Doom. Uh, boss, you've been way too generous. In fact, he's starting to come over kind of gay. He is a bit homophobic, though, isn't he? Well, not that, not that he says. I think the, the Hall of Doom looks a bit like Stewie as Darth Vader. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah, I just did a Darth Doom. <laughs> anti-life is all. The anti-life equation. Uh, we get a nice line in social commentary here about the masses all being enslaved in one form or another by television, which is the drug of a nation, obviously, by religion, which this is obviously playing with, yeah. with the death of God and all of that stuff. You're not telling me there's no religious subtext to this. Or the government, Darkseid, sets himself up as the absolute ruler of all, and ultimately, you boil it down to its burr essentials, that's what this story is. Plucky band of rebels taking on a totalitarian regime. Morrison's doing anti-government stories again. He's rewriting Blake Seven. He's what oh, he's doing. He's, he's rewriting a story he did in JLA, Rock of Ages, which yeah. is essentially, essentially the same thing. Uh, yeah, he ponces it up with grandiose dialogue and some 
frankly mad as a bag of cats ideas but boiled down to its burr essentials it's a retelling of a tale as old as time mm. ironically given the actual premise of this yeah. well you know that the anti-life equation is a Kirby creation I was aware of that like everything else in the series yes it's, it's a big love letter to Jack Kirby isn't it mm. see I don't get that I don't get why you're so down on artists Riff, riffing off Kirby. A couple of weeks ago, yeah. you actually said, I don't want artists just drawing like Kirby. They can draw like what they want. Not everything has to look like Kirby. Yeah. Drew. Yet when a writer does it, like this, this owes so much to Jack Kirby. Yet you're fine with it. Because I like Kirby stories. I like the idea of Omak and the New Gods and all that. I just, I think he's an awful artist. <sighs> I really do. I don't get the, the, the Kirby bug... I, I don't like his art style or anything, but I like his stories. Okay, fair enough. Just wondering why you could tolerate blatant yeah. Kirby homage like this. Bring on the hate mail. <laughs> no, nobody's going to resent you for having an opinion. <laughs> Everyone has an opinion, just some people's are wrong. Uh, Lex tries to turn the tables on Libra. As, let's face it, we all thought that he would. Yeah. Uh, but she anticipates him. Why do I keep calling her a she? He's a he, damn it. Uh, Clark's in hospital with Lois because if he leaves her, she'll die as he's keeping her alive by massaging her heart with his heat vision. My initial reaction to this was, oh, that's really sweet. And then I sat and I thought about it for a minute. How on earth is he keeping her heart warm by using heat vision? How does that work then, Ted? What's the science behind that then? In Superman Beyond, <laughs> they will say that it's his infrared yeah. vision that's doing it. Again, how does that work? Uh, what that? Mm? Does could the, George Clooney explain that to me? Does the words of Grant Morrison work as a get out of jail card? Uh, I suppose so. Uh, as the reader, we know Hal Jordan's innocent, and that Buddy Kia, the Alpha Lantern, is secretly Granny Goodness. Fine, but she says, and I quote. Jordan's guilt will be established in tribunal on Oa. Oh, Oa. And nobody picks up on this. So there's either no innocent till proven guilty on Oa, or Granny Goodness lets a faux pas slip out and nobody picks up on it. Well, Granny Goodness is Kraken. Yes. Not Boudicca. Oh, is she? Have I missed up me thing, yours? Yeah. Yeah. But um, that's the Alpha Lantern's job, to treat suspects as though... Oh, yeah, Boudicca's on the other side of him on that panel. Yeah, sorry, I've mixed up me Boudicca with me Kraken. Um... Which can be a bit quite painful. That's yeah. why I wear boxer shots. The, the, the Arthur Lance's job is to treat suspects as though they were guilty. Um, the, no, no, the, the top five Green Lanterns, uh, John Stewart was offered the chance to become one, but denied it after he realised that the Alpha Lanterns were pretty much programmed like robots. So the Guardians have a system in place where you are presumed guilty until proven innocent. By these five robot dudes, yeah. Yeah, about that saves a lot of time. Uh, is Article X the draft for superheroes an actual thing in the comics? Was this something that was in All-Star Squadron or something? Well, I couldn't find a mention of it, but it is essentially the origin of the All-Star Squadron. Roosevelt gathered available heroes, including the Justice League and Society, the Freedom Fighters and Seven Soldiers of Victory, as well as solo heroes to fight World War II after the events of Pearl Harbor. So that the book wouldn't concern real events, I mean, have... 
the squadron not fighting in Europe or the Pacific. It had Hitler possess the Spear of Destiny that would give him control of any magic-based uh, heroes or heroes vulnerable to magic if they were to cross over into territory covered by the Axis power. Right, okay. So it's, it hasn't actually been set up somewhat. But it's similar to the origin. Right, okay, fair enough. Um, even Captain <coughs> Marvel Jr. wallows in self-pity in the new DC. Oh, yeah. Uh, this bugs me a bit about comics at the minute. DC have gone all Marvel angst, but taken it to the nth degree, whilst yeah. Marvel have confused Peter Parker angst with making him a sad sack. Yeah. Neither of which works for me. We get a lovely close-up shot of Black Canary's bra. <laughs> Not gratuitous at all, in any oh, way. No. Granted, we get Green Lantern wearing nothing but his boxer shorts, so I suppose that balances <laughs> out, doesn't oh, it? Yeah. Bit of eye candy for the girls... Bit of eye candy for the boys. Actually, there's a little less for the girls. Well, yeah, there's a little less for Considering the girls. Considering uh, that's, that's uh, if girls read this, though. Yeah. Would you call into DC? No, they don't, do they? Right, so once again, when did Mr. Miracle stop being scot free? Well, now you've actually got to my notes, sir. And I was going to miss it. I was going to skip it out, though. After a long rivalry with Manga Khan, who repeatedly kidnapped Scott convinced his manager to forge documents forcing Free to work for Manga as his entertainer, but to force him to go willingly, Karnak to replace Scott with a lifelike robot who was murdered by Despero during his first mission in the League. Scott escaped from Khan and was reunited with his family, but was so shocked by the events that he handed the mantle to Shiloh Norman, his pupil, who was the new Mr. Miracle in Seven Soldiers. Fair enough. That's um, answer your question. Clearer now. He, he, he was so shocked by what he had to do that he gave I've it to someone never else. been before. Mary Marvel yep. is a bondage queen with a punk hoodoo who cuts the heads off dogs. Yep. And people. Let's not forget people. She also curses like a sailor. Yep. Mary Marvel. Yep. Of the Marvel family. Yep. Just make sure I've got the right Mary Marvel. Yep. Squeaky clean Mary Marvel. Yep. Shazam. Mary Marvel. Yep. Golly G. Willikers, Mary Marvel. Yep. Excellent. <laughs> well, well, well. Slang is worth In Trials of Shazam, a Judd Winnick comic, <laughs> Mary lost her powers mid-flight, fell three miles down, and went into a coma. During Countdown, she acquired the powers of Black Adam and donned a black costume with long sleeve top. She is then in a constant struggle with good and evil due to being manipulated by Eclipse and Granny Goodness. Uh, she then comes under the influence of Darkseid, and at the end of Countdown, she returns to being a good guy. So, like everything else in Countdown, Morrison forgets this. <laughs> or ignores it. Yeah. <laughs> when we pick back up with Sheila and Sonnet, Norman is just finishing describing the events of Seven Soldiers, where Darkseid kills him and he returns from the dead. Right. Yes, he did. Which I'm one, sure I said plenty of times. One line of dialogue <coughs> was supposed to get all of that out. And then I returned from the dead. Yeah. That's pretty much it, yeah. <laughs> it's like when Doctor Doom returned in the Fantastic Four. We need not talk of it now. <laughs> but you were dead. Oh, well, no, no, no. Me a bag of <laughs> Merely a flesh wound. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Come back. Um, I've got mixed feelings about this one for the first time. On the one hand, the tension's ratcheting up nicely. There's still a great deal going on, and as a reader, I'm being tasked and required to keep up, which I don't mind. I like that. I don't like that there's very little explanation of who these people are. I don't mind people who have already been introduced in the story being skipped over, and I don't mind being required to keep up. 
but just throwing more and more characters into the mix with no explanation of who they are is just a bit clumsy. Mm. This story was hyped to the rafters. I presume DC want readers to actually understand it. Well, so every now and again, given throwing us a bone and saying who the characters are may help a bit. Morrison has a retort to this, okay. which I will be reading later on. Uh, now we turn to the, uh, well, I'd like to say Black Sheep, but it's honestly the multicolored 4D hypersquare triangle <laughs> century bot bullet of the Final Crisis tie-ins. <laughs> Unlike the other tie-ins, including the Morrison Penned tie-in, this one is actually important. Uh, yes. Very important. Very important. It's actually very important that re- not reading this is like not watching the Two Towers or The Empire Strikes Back, but watching the rest. So it would have been a lot better if this was the next chapter in the series instead of a tie-in, to be Yeah, honest. why was this just not two more issues of our Final Crisis? Don't know. And I disagree with you. The Submit crossover that Grant Morrison wrote is integral to well, Final Crisis. I... I think that's very important to the storyline. How so? With because the tattooed man getting the, the tat- equation? Yeah, the tattooed man just shows up out of nowhere with the ex mechina, which I can never say properly. Yeah, yes, yeah. That's the bunny. <laughs> and without that, he just shows up like, oh, by the way, <laughs> I've got something here that's going to help solve this whole mess. Oh, and I'll swear a bit. Okay, they're equally important then. Yeah. This is more important, I'll it, give it you that. Is, yeah. But submit is, is as important to the overall story. Yeah. Um, the cover by J.H. Williams, the trilogy, is a grey and red <laughs> colour of super. Is in grey and red of Superman standing there and shooting laser eye beams. Yeah, it's cat. Um, it might have been better in 3D. <coughs> I like the colour scheme. Yeah, I like that it's all grey tones except for the trunks, the shield, the cape, and his his heat vision. Well, the face is really wonky, and just something looks off about his neck and his shoulders. And no. It's not, not, not a fan at all. Um, the Final Crisis variant is of Superman flying towards us through the multiverse, and it's by Doug Mank. It's a bit better, but Doug Mank draws Superman with scurry eyes. <laughs> uh, written by Morrison, penciled by Doug Mank, inked by Christian Am- Alame. Remember Tom- the Alame? Tom Nguyen. Nguyen. Jen will be silent. Ah, right. Drew Garaki. That'll be Jurassic. <laughs> and Derek Fridolfs. <laughs> That'll be Fridolfs. <laughs> Coloured by David Barron, lettered by Ken Lopez, 3D'd by Rayzone, and edited by Adam Schlagman and Eddie Baganza. This was just titled Final Crisis Superman Beyond 3D, part mm-hmm. one of two. Yes. It was collected in Superman Legends 26 with Final Crisis 3. Yeah, one issue and a half of it was collected oh, in Superman this Legends. Is, yeah, yeah. And then they cut it off in the middle <laughs> to split it into another issue. Yeah. And it was like, what? <laughs> Especially I mean, where they cut it. Yeah, where they cut it off is just stupid. More on that place. <sighs> One month and ten minutes ago, time stopped. And Clark Kent, at his dying wife's side, was offered the ultimate chance to save her by monitor Zillow Valor. She's gathering the greatest super uh, champions in the multiverse to save the Earth before the entire multiverse is destroyed and to go on tour for her new album. <laughs> she tells Superman that the only way to save Lois is by using the Bleed, a substance that contains all 51 universes but can only be touched by monitors. Touched by an angel. <laughs> so Demi tells me. <laughs> they reach Val's ship, the Ultima Thule, and the other heroes, Overman, the Captain Marvel of another Earth and Captain Adam. 
Superman is given 4D uh, vision. He's not given 4D vision. He taps into his vision powers. She says you... Okay. And learns that he can he can do 4D vision or something. This means get your 3D glasses out, folks. Yeah. And sees that the ship's being attacked by a giant eye yeah. thing that's shooting out silhouette people like the ones in Crisis and Infinite Earth. Oh, yeah. Also known as the Echo of Midnight. He looks closer and sees that Ultraman is attacking the Echo using whatever he finds as a weapon. The ship falls through the multiverse and Superman flies to stop it. If the 70 mile long ship crashes then it will kill 98% of terrestrial life. The ship falls through three Earths before crashing down on Earth 51, a world completely devoid of life. As mentioned earlier. (coughs) Yep. Ultraman kicks off with Captain Adam for bonding with the ship's AI instead of helping them land it. Superman and Captain Marvel settle everyone down, saying they need to work together to get the ultimate reward everyone has been promised. Zillow Fowler tells Overman that the, tells Overman that the thing that powers the ship is a hut, and that there is only one way to replenish the beating engine. Overman asks where the sad music gone, and that all these universes vibrate at different frequencies. In German. <laughs> Captain Adam says that the music has run out. They're all out of multiverse and off the charts. As they step, as they step off the ship, they find they find Merryman and Limbo. So good, you'll never want to leave. Instead of giving up and being forgotten, Superman and Captain Marvel walk to the library of Limbo, where they find the book that contains every book and was written by a monkey. The problem with having a book that contains every book means that it weighs the same as every book, including books from other planets and universes, and not only does the book contain every other book, but it's also every page occupying the same space and frequency. Alright? Yeah, go on. (coughs) Superman and Captain Marvel try to lift the book, but it explodes and reveals the secrets behind the origins of the monitors, the Final Crisis, and the Superman Prime robot protector thingy. And Mandrak. Oh yes. Mandrak the Magician. Was it? No. No. The original monitor created a robot Superman made with the divine metals that would stand silently until needed. He made the final crisis, a last-ditch effort to save creation from loathing and greed beyond measure, just as the heroes hear about Dax Novu, the greatest monitor and first son of the original monitor, about to face Mandrak, and Mandrak sensing freedom, the book explodes even more, causing Marvel to turn back into Billy Batson and making him forget the word Shazam. Because it's such a hard word to remember. Well, you forget stuff when you're in limbo. Yeah. They go back to the ship, and a portal opens, sending all the forgotten back to the mu- into the multiverse. When they enter the ship, they see Valor sat over Overman's dead body, drinking his blood, and she says that Mandrak wakes, just as the Echo of Midnight attacks, and Ultraman says that the book proves that evil wins in the end. <gasps> no, it doesn't. <coughs> <laughs> um, I like how... This issue starts off with a splash page from the end hmm. that shows Superman in a cliffhanger. It's like what old comics did and reflects how much of a big dumb crossover this story actually is. Yeah, it's, it's the only way that it resembles old comics. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, page two and three pick up exactly where we left off, or well, we left Superman anyway in Final <coughs> Crisis 3, although the story itself starts at the end, which is fair enough, I suppose. Um, the art's very Brian Bolland. Did you not think? It's, it's different than it is in Blackest Night. Yeah, it's it? just an observation. I, I got a Brian Bolland vibe off some of that. Mm. Um, what took one page in Final Crisis 3 takes four pages here. Yeah. And now, granted, Morrison does give us a little more information. It's more splashy. Yeah, it? there's more splashy, there's more padding. Um, 
we established that it's the infrared vision that's keeping Lewis alive, not just the heat vision. Yeah. I'm not buying that that's scientifically more plausible, but okay, whatever. Uh, this issue takes place literally in a heartbeat, mm-hmm. which amused me, I have to say. Uh, page eight, um, I laughed out loud at Ultra Menstrum. Which, which, which I thought has got to be Big Bird's menstrual cycle. <laughs> uh, I don't know about you, but anyone who looks down on me like this and refers to us as a race of occupants of germ worlds is a pretentious cow. Uh, this woman never once introduces herself to Superman. Yeah. Does he know her? No. We know she's Zillow Vala. Who sounds, you know, as we've established, <laughs> like the lead singer of him. Morrison responded to this criticism in the final Crisis Eggs interview at Newsarama, where he said, Should I try and do this in a Scottish accent? Go on. All right. I chose to leave out the book. What the hell was that? <laughs> oh, no. I chose to leave out boring as I saw connective tissue we didn't really need for this story to work. I chose to leave out long-winded caption-heavy explanations that bring readers up to speed as they send them to sleep. And we left out the line-wide crossover tie-ins that have every detail of backstory spelled out laboriously by writers desperate to get back to their own plot lines. Otherwise, the whole thing is there on the page in word or picture form, and when interestingly shaped story spaces can be opened out to make room for enthusiastic speculation and debate, that adds to the phone. Looking up characters you thought were simply generic cavemen or monsters and finding out they have histories you can explore and adventures you can read adds another interactive layer that takes you deeper into the mysteries and complexities of the DC virtual reality. You know, you actually started off really accurate but <laughs> lost it later on. I, went, I, went, I suddenly became Scotty from Star Trek. <laughs> um, on the one hand, let's, let's take that criticism, should we? Uh, mm-hmm. He's obviously criticising people like me. Who said that, like, okay, fair enough. It's not crap. I'm quite digging on it. But who's he? Tell me who and what's he? Is. And what's going on with him? And who's he from? And yeah. he's saying, well, you don't need any of that crap. And, you there's know, always Wikipedia. Yeah, there's always Wikipedia. So on the one hand, I get, it's a valid way of telling his story. Mm. In the information age, making you look stuff up lets you learn things you may not have known and in the case of foreign language as I mentioned earlier it's educational fine okay on the other hand it is a surefire way to turn off a certain segment of your readers who don't want to do homework when they read comics it can also be be the difference between your audience understanding your story and you understanding your story there's a certain arrogance to his statement though that if you don't understand it the fault's not his as the writer for being obtuse it's your fault as the reader for being a bit thick I knew what I was writing yeah so you know I get what he's saying there's a certain element of comics that have lost nothing by losing all the expositional dialogue but at the same time when you're reading something this complex with this many characters sometimes you've got to throw your audience a bit of a bone yeah and say yeah, well alright this guy's this guy and this guy's this guy and I'm sure somebody of his, his talent as a writer could have done it unobtrusively yeah if especially he'd sat down and get him back into a golden age type writing yeah it's exactly so you know um, and so we have our first true venture into Morrisonisms. Some of the dialogue in these two issues is at best overwritten and at worst it's tosh <laughs> some of it's just God awful. Um, I did like, you know, Superman having 4D vision. Alright. 
If I can buy yeah. Super Ventriloquism, I can buy 4D Vision. Was it just not another way to get comics into the 3D? Uh, I don't know, because I've not read this in 3D. I 3D comics make my brain bleed. Well, I didn't read it in 3D, I read it in 2D, went on the computer where we have it in 3D and just looked at the pictures. Is it better in 3D? It's decent. Does it make more sense in no, 3D? See, it's decent, <laughs> but there's the problem is you can have like the top half of a page 3D and the bottom half being 2D. Because uh, I know what would have made this made perfect sense. It being in 3D. <laughs> Suddenly I would have been like, oh, it's all so clear now. That's, who that That's what I was missing. Wow. Right, okay, fair enough. Well, the bleed is what connects <laughs> all of the multiverse. The bleed is big bad in a bad day. <laughs> Shut up, Scott! <laughs> Sorry, big bad. What connects all the multiverse together? Morrison here takes the bleed very literally, giving the bleed arteries connecting the worlds, but its origin is from Stormwatch, a wild storm comic, and was the way the authority got around and stayed everywhere at once. Once DC got their hands on Wildstorm, they changed the bleed so that it was a way DC could cross over with Wildstorm. And um, the authority also shows up on this page in, uh, in issue on page 11, coming out of the Wildstorm bleed, which you can tell the difference of because the DC bleed is all red and bleeder. Hmm. The Wildstorm bleed is all orange and wavered. Oh, alright, so is that what that is? So that there is the nose. Well, this big two page area. spread here in the middle, I thought it was Yellow Submarine. Yeah. In the tower the I was fool. Yeah, the ultimate fool. <laughs> ultimate fool. Uh, page 9 through 15. The big fight scene with the crisis and stuff is very similar to Crisis and Infinite Earths, but, you know, I presume that's intentional. Oh, yeah. I really did like Superman saving the multiverse. <coughs> yeah. That was pretty damn cool. Yeah. Him saving the entire multiverse. It was really good. Because if anyone can do it... Superman can. Ultraman is the equal opposite of Superman from Earth 2. Both are equally strong, but Ultraman was raised in a world where evil is good. Yeah, that makes sense. And they're not allowed sense. to fight each other. No, because when matter meets antimatter, as Mr. Scott once told us, poof. <laughs> yeah. No poof today. Poof tomorrow. <laughs> Always a poof tomorrow. At uh, page 18, they, uh, he actually seeds the end of the story. All the man wonders what happened to the music. Superman will sing at the end of Final Crisis. Mm-hmm. And it's established that Ultraman and Superman cannot touch, or as we've mentioned, the old Star Trek standby of matter and antimatter colliding will happen and destroy the universe. Yep. Uh, Merryman, is he made up for this story? Or does he have a backstory that I'm well, not aware of? In the pages of Animal Man, after Buddy Baker's family were killed. I thought I remembered him from somewhere. Is he an yeah, Animal Man? Yeah. Right. He went off on a long walk out into nothing. After years of walking, he found himself in Limbo, a place where all comic book characters go when they're forgotten. He finds a monkey who sits on a hill, and instead of writing Shakespeare, actually writes the script for that issue. It's one of the covers, that, isn't it? Yeah. As Merryman was part of... Um, as Merryman was part of a parody team known as the Inferior Five, who had their own series but were soon forgotten, Merryman was there. Um, he also had cameos in Infinite Earths, 52, Seven Soldiers, and Ambush Bug. <laughs> Nothing wrong with Ambush Bug. Uh, page 21. I have to confess, I was really confused by Captain Marvel's dialogue in panel 2. While I like the sheer bonkers idea 
of a library of limbo containing a boot with an infinite number of pages all occupying the same space. I had to read this a few times to comprehend exactly what was going on. Mm. You've got Superman saying exactly this contains every book possible. According to Captain Adam, the ultimate fool's onboard computer has infinite memory capacity. And Captain Marvel then says, which means it could read every page of the book at once and download manual. Its own repair. How do we get it back? And I did not get that panel. I didn't. I didn't understand. Which means it could read every page at once and download its own manual, yeah. its own repair. So is that missing the words "its own," or is he saying it could download every page of the book at once and download manual? So he's saying it could download every book at once and his own download manual. And I read. I must have read that four or five times. But well, what, yeah. what's he actually saying there? And it confused me. I don't mind admitting. Uh, again, this isn't a criticism of the writing here. That could be just me being a bit dense. Yeah. Because I was very confused as to what he said. I didn't. Same, I didn't quite get it. What he said. Page twenty-two through twenty-three. Is this Morrison playing with the whole concept of what a story is and breaking apart a story on a metatextual level, trying to explain that by not having a multiverse, the DC universe is somehow limiting to the imagination? Or is he just spouting gobbledygook in an effort to sound deep and meaningful? I'd like to say the former. <laughs> You're leaning towards the latter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fair enough. Um, before Merryman leaves, he says that I have a real talent for gritty drama no one's ever thought to exploit. Uh-huh. At first I didn't get this, but when looking up Merryman's history, I found out that Steve Gerber... Uh, Creator of Howard the Duck. Proposed a dark and gritty version of the Inferior Five, the Vertigo. Really? But yeah, but was rejected. DC refused to publish anything with the title because it would make them look inferior. inferior. Oh, fair enough. And the issue ends with evil winning in the end. Yes. I'm not willing to bet that that'll happen. Mm. Uh, part two has a cover by Mank of Robo Soup Standing All Heroic whereas the Final Crisis variant by Williams is of grey and red Superman flying to the earth um it's a better cover the Robot Superman one's quite a good cover it looks very top heavy yeah he does I quite like the, the J.G. Jones one the J.H. Williams one though sorry yeah um, his face doesn't look as wonky and again I like the colour scheme I like that it's just red with black and white grey scale um this was uh, split into two yeah and was badly co- well and was collected in Superman Legends 26 and Batman Legends 31. Carrying on with his speech, Ultraman says that there is a god whose name is Mandrak and hates us all. Life will kneel before him and die. Superman and Captain Adam laugh this off and say it sounds like a challenge. As the Echo of Midnight attack, Limbo and Merryman decide to stay and fight the Echo. Zillow Valor, sat with the ship connected to a hurt, says that if Mandrak has awoken then the circle of monitors have fallen and the 51 universes are unattended to. Billy Batson wakes up confused and Overman, apparently alright now, stops him and tells him that she's a vampire, saying that someone should kill her. Billy says that they shouldn't and he doesn't like Nazis telling him what to do. In reply to this, Overman says that it was the technology from his rocket that crashed that allowed Hitler to win the war and that he left his world to find his sister. Last scene in Final Crisis 3. Yes. Right. Looking worse for work. I couldn't read my notes then. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote them, dude. <laughs> and cannot allow Valor to deceive anyone, any more of them. Billy says that the ship took over man's blood to repair itself. The ship runs on bleed, and bleed is life. Billy Batson, reporter at Wiz Media, smells a story. A love story. 
Valor, impressed, impressed with Billy, tells him that the word that allows him to turn into Captain Marvel. Whilst the inhabitants of Limbo fight the Echo, Captain Adam tries to contact the Monitor's mind, but all he sees is how small and significant they are. When Ultraman tries taking the Ultima Thule for himself to spread word of Mandrak, Superman tries to stop him, but before they fight, Marvel separates them. Superman tells Adam to take the Thule and warn everyone of Mandrak's coming, as he realises his and Ultraman's role in this. The Superman thought robot and the Monitor world can only be controlled by tremendous energies unleashed during collisions of fundamental opposing qualities. In simpler terms, the energy unleashed when Please, Superman simpler terms. <laughs> unleashed when Superman and Ultraman attack each other. The two attack, and as hate crime meets selfless act, the universe explodes. In the darkness, Captain Adam fuses energy fuses the energy and broadcasts it to the monitor's higher plane. The Superbot wakes up and holds the universe <laughs> in his hands. To follow this adventure, pick up Batman Legends 30 <laughs> on sale on 23rd of July. Yes, yes, dear listeners, that is where Superman Legends stopped the story. Yeah. How irritating was that? It was. Um, picks up your issue? Yes. Good, now let's carry on. Superbot finds himself on the Monitor World where he meets Ouija Dell, lover of Nixuotum. They walk through a graveyard into town. The High Monitors realising that ex- exiling Uotum was wrong because of Superbot's appearance. He sees the shattered jar containing the 52 Earths and sees that they're being drained by vampire monitors. A monitor, the mysterious one in Final Crisis 1 who watched Ouija Dell and Zillavala talk, now a vampire, clings onto an Earth saying that Uotun would have fought against them and that he needed to be taken out the picture for Mandrax awake. Mandrax's cage opens and as Superbot sees the vampire monitor holding the elixir he needs to uh, heal a, lo- a Lois. The two fight but Mandrak is more powerful than Superbot, and almost destroys him. He then turns to see a grave prepared for him, as Mandrak asks what they shall put on his tombstone. Superbot lies on the floor, unable to get back up, and Demonitor calls out to Mandrak, saying that he's using them to bring him into existence, and that on the germ world there is a better story that is indestructible of a child rocketed to Earth. Mandrak turns and kills this monitor, and then he realises that he killed Zillow Valor, the vampire monitor who loved him and gave him her all. Superbot then gets back up and the two continue to fight an epic battle. As Superbot is about to defeat Mandrak, he reveals that Mandrak is actually the greatest monitor and first son of the original, Dax Novu, and with the burst of heat vision, Superbot knocks Mandrak off the ledge of existence and into nothing, and grabs the elixir. Superbot contains the 52 Earths and tells the monitors to protect them, who in return tell him that he can leave and have the elixir, but he won't be able to take it back to Earth with him. He goes to the tombstone and engraves a warning on it. The Superbot dies and Superman and Ultraman go back to being two separate entities and fall back into limbo, where Overman and Captain Marvel fight the Echo of Midnight and the Three Destroyer. Ultraman crashes into the ground where he's found by Ogma, the monitor who plotted Uotan's exile and serves as Mandrak's disciple, who gives him the blood of Mandrak and makes him the first vampire superman. Back in Metropolis Hospital, before Lois's heart beats, Clark passes the elixir to Lois that he's been carrying in his mouth through a kiss. Lois says that she had a dream. You were in it, and you were in it, and his grave. When she saw what it said, she knew everything would be alright. The end. The end. Well done. Okay. Yeah, I don't think I could have synopsized that one. <laughs> I think mine would have just been, they fight, they <laughs> fight, they bite and fight and fight. 
fight, 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 bite, bite, bite. The Superman <laughs> and Ultraman show. That oh, it's, been it. it's two issues of Morrison. Oh, and there's vampires in it. God, yeah. Um, there's a nice reference to Atlas on page one. Uh, with Ultraman carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders, yeah. which I quite like. On page two, while saying they forget us, abandon us on a cosmic dump, which in itself can be seen as commentary on the destruction of the multiverse in Christ on Infinite Earth, Merryman's got a look at Julius Swartz to him, who was the editor of the Silver and the Bronze Age comics that spearheaded all this stuff to begin with. Oh, he made um, Hal Jordan. Uh, yeah, and Barry Allen. Yeah. Al- yeah, he revamped Green Lantern and The Flash. Yeah. Well... Did I miss something out? Or did Overman actually die last issue? See, we see him lying lifeless and Zillow Valor even says, I took his life's blood. And when we see him in this issue, he's perfectly fine and Valor's hooked up to the ship. Hmm. Yeah, I'm... Should we just bat it off? Yes. Uh, when uh, Superman says, warn everyone, like Paul Revere... See, he doesn't mean what I thought he was in like, warn everyone, you know, like that Paul Revere bloke, he'll know what to do. See, what he actually means is warn everyone like what Paul Revere did. Yes. Revere was an American silversmith and patriot during the revolution and was most famous for alerting the colonial colonial militia of approaching British forces before the battles of Lexington and Concord. Right, now is it just me? It's just you. I knew that from Wikipedia, right? Is it just me, or does it sound like something Superman wouldn't know? So I don't know what they teach in American history lessons, but from where I'm standing, it seems like something that's brimming on the unbelievable little... It it sounds like Morrison's writing everyone to be really clever and know everything, which works for Batman, because let's face it, we've already, already accepted that Morrison Batman is omnipotent. But Superman isn't, or at least not to that extent. Well... Isn't Paul Revere actually quite an important part of America's Revolutionary War? See, I didn't know because I'm not American. Yeah, well, I, it's probably taught in high school, though. Right. We're over here, we kind of brushed under the carpet Fair a little enough. bit, don't we? But I would imagine he's Someone quite an important historical like figure. unbelievable to Yeah, to you, you'd be like, who the hell's Paul Revere? Yeah. What's he talking about? Paul Revere, wasn't that a band? Paul Revere <laughs> and the Raiders, that's that's as far as the extent of the knowledge goes. Right. But yeah, I would imagine the Revolutionary War is taught quite su- substantially. So I'm just talking out my ass. In now. American high schools, yes. It's quite an important part of their history. I can edit that out. No, no, I doubt you should leave it in. Okay. You know, there are, there are other cultures in the world. Yeah. There's not just America and everyone else. But at the same time, they will have something that's probably quite important to them that they will teach in high school. Yeah. Whereas... I, Doubt that they learn about the Falklands and the Norman Conquest. Fair enough. And all that stuff. Can't imagine it's important <laughs> to them, really. So different cultures have different history lessons. Yeah, I know. Is, is the bottom line. Uh, page 11. Uh, we're finally given what we've been waiting for, which is Ultraman versus Superman. And suddenly, Superman's a robot. Oh, yeah. And at this point, I had to admit, I started getting just a teeny little bit confused. We started to explain. About what was going on. I read this issue three times before doing the notes, and I'm still not entirely sure how matter and antimatter colliding led to Superman appearing in a body of pure thought. Well, we learn in the origin of the monitors that this robot can only be activated by that energy. Right. And that it would be activated when the time had come and Mandrak had to be defeated. So Ultraman and Superman had to collide yeah. for this to happen. Which also begs the question of, if it is both of them, why is it only Superman that's controlling it? Yes. 
and then Superman becomes a part of the narrative structure of the self-assembling hyper story. <laughs> and at this point, I was like, what? <laughs> I think you've just lost me, Grant. Um, ignoring all that, <laughs> let's just sweep that under the carpet. Um, I did like the final battle between Mandrak and Superman, and I liked his teasing of Superman that they exist in the space between Lois's last heartbeat, like he's winding him up. Yeah to get to him and then Superman defeats Mandrak and is told that the elixir that can save Lois's life cannot be taken back with him bummer bummer man I like how the monitors call people who live on Earth germs but when Superbot comes alive he's much much bigger than all of them yeah well how big is that Superbot um, we see in the last issue he's like a big big statue right Okay, fair enough. Um, on page 20 we finally get the incident that started the story off and we get the question, oh, what will be on Superman's tombstone? Mm. Page 25, Superman and Overman split back into two beings at the top of the page, and it's explained that the elixir cannot be carried or contained. I read this ending four times mm. before I figured out that Superman had the elixir in his mouth and passed it on to Lois in the kiss on the third to last page. And that is one of those things where I can't believe he was being deliberately obtuse about that. Surely the art on the penultimate page could have made that a bit clearer. Yeah. When he kisses her, all we needed to see was something passing between them. I didn't know at all until I read your notes. Oh, right, so you didn't know that either? No. So that wasn't me being a bit thick? No. Um, I mean, Lois does explain the taste when she wakes up. Yeah. Which I think was what finally twigged me to, oh, right, yeah, he's pulling a Superman 2 on her. <laughs> he's kissing her and, and doing something with her. Uh, and then as she wakes up we see what Superman's tombstone yeah. says. At the end of the issue, we found out what the grave said. To be continued. Mm. Yeah, now, Superman wrote to be continued on his grave as a one, but this even means that it, it could be him saying that Superman will always carry on and cannot be defeated, or it's him breaking the fourth wall and telling us to pick up the rest of Final Crisis. It's Morrison playing around with the storytelling again, isn't it? Yeah. It's, the, it's faffing around with the structure of what a story is. Superman Tombstone says to be continued because he fights the never-ending battle. But as far as we're concerned, to be continued means that this story is not over. Yeah. And Final Crisis will carry on. So even if you only read Superman Beyond, and if you only read Superman Beyond, my God, you're going to be confused, <laughs> that there is other things to, to sink your teeth into further down the line. Um... I'll be honest with you, the first time I read this, I hated it, didn't I? Yeah. I thought it was utterly appalling. I thought it was incomprehensible gibberish <laughs> masquerading as art. Having read it as part of the trade, and God knows how many times I read certain bits of it yeah. in the course of doing the notes, I still think a lot of it is gibberish. But I don't think it's quite as incomprehensible. That, un unless I'm completely missing Well, I understand it a lot more from doing notes yeah from show. writing down what it was about yeah. I think you did a pretty good job of that synopsis uh, I don't think I could have done a better job with it um, I, I, is Morrison's again exploring the whole idea of stories just like he did in Animal Man but Animal Man Animal Man Animal Nitrate <laughs> Animal Man you're Adrian but not as coherently mm. it works just as part of the overall narrative and it's it's quintessential Morrison. Yeah. Take that however you wish to take it. If you're pro or anti, you can you can take whatever you want out of that. Manx 
uh, a work on these two issues would be a sign of things to come with the series. Near the end, Jones would be so far behind that he would have artists do pages along with him. But at the end of issue six, Mank takes on art duties full-time for the last issue and a half. That is something to be said about this. The art changes were never jarring. Yeah. Doug Mank is not J.G. Jones. No. The art styles are completely the different. The other artists did a good job. Yeah. And yeah. even Matthew Clark, who does submit, his art doesn't seem out of place. No. They did a really good job of matching the artists, so it never felt like, ooh, I don't like this now. Um, I'll have more to say on that next uh, oh, okay. show. Um, after Clark's done saving Lois, he's whisked away into the 31st century to help the Legion of Superheroes defeat Superboy Prime, who has found his way into the future and freed the Legion of Supervillos from prison. To do this, they find a magic ball that the Justice League used to contact the, so- the Society for the first time and unite the three different Legions of Superheroes from different Earths. I read that. Mm. I read Legion of Three Worlds. Um, Legion of Three Worlds by Jeff Johns and George Prez isn't really a Final Crisis tie-in. Actually, I've read all of it, and we'll carry on doing the rest later on when it actually ties into the series. But it's actually the last part in John's Legion trilogy that started off in the Lightning Saga and carried on into Superman, the Legion of Superheroes story arc. And I've finished the ending, and it doesn't tie into Final Crisis no, at all. I read that because, like, the George Perez art's pretty. Mm. And I thought, oh, go on, I'll read this, because George Perez did the artwork. And it's five issues, and it's fun. Yeah. It's a fun read. It's jack all to do with this. No, but Morrison did tie it in somehow. Did he? What? Um, the bit where Superman then reappears in Final Crisis and Brainiac shows him the god weapon. That's from Legion of Three Worlds? No, but um, if you ignore the ending to Legion of Three Worlds, it makes oh, perfect sense. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> so if you ignore that other writer's work, yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. yeah right, fair enough. Right, because we're now at the longest episode ever... Mm-hmm. we're going to knock it on the head though we did originally think of doing this in one show didn't we yeah but I think we'll be I think we'll we'll call it a break though we've never done a two hour episode before is it two hours we're, we're pushing two hours now oh, I'm going to have fun editing this yes it's good because this is Michael's baby oh, I have yeah. nothing to do with this one other than I'm doing the reading and making the notes Michael's synopsizing everything good job Thank you. But Obi-Wan can remember. Michael's doing all the editing, Michael's doing everything on this one. So if you don't like it, you know who to complain to. And if you do like it, don't tell him because he's got a big head. <laughs> uh, Alright, we'll be back next week with uh, Final Crisis Submit and then the remaining issues of Final Crisis, which is 4, 5, 6, and 7. Yeah. So that's probably well going to be Batman. As well as, yes, as well as the two issues of Batman. So that's probably going to be a long one as well. It'll be equal, mate. Get drinks. Get snacks, put your feet up, kick back, and enjoy. That's what we do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, we'll be back next time. Thank you for joining us for this epic trek through the stars. Well, all right, through time. And earths. And earths and all that stuff. And we'll see you next time. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Goodbye.
Netflix is that the devil will make work for idle hands to do production. And all opinions expressed by Michael and Andrew in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and probably not to be taken too seriously. All music and sound clips used in the show are copyright the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. Michael and Andrew make no money for this, much to their chagrin. New episodes drop every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com, which you can also listen through our Facebook page, which you can friend us on by using Hey Kids as the first name and Comics as the second name. You can also listen on our website, where you can also view the covers of the comics we've covered this week. That's www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com. If you have an opinion on our opinions, you can email us on heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks.com, where you can drop by and say hello if you're allergic to email. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. Hey Kids Comics.